From Thriller Digital, welcome to Secrets, Lies, and Alibis. I'm your host, James Lee. Due to the graphic nature of the details of this case, listener discretion is advised. Episode 7, Demons Made Me Do It. It is nine years after the murders at 121 Vagabond Way, and Clemente's motion for a new trial has been denied, despite the fact new evidence has been presented. However, a shocking admission will turn the entire case on its head. While Clemente has been imprisoned for nearly a decade for a crime he vehemently denies committing, someone else has been free and confessing to the murders. What's more shocking is who is making these confessions. Samantha Williams, Cheryl's own daughter. Three of Samantha's former neighbors testify to three separate instances in which Samantha admitted to the murders. Christine LaRavuso testifies that in March of 2012, at a neighborhood barbecue, Samantha said, I'm crazy. I'm evil. I killed my grandmother and my mother. Marianne LaRavuso and Michael Bowman testify that in July of 2012, after they asked her to leave their property, Samantha said that she wasn't afraid of them and that she had killed her mom and grandma. A few months later, Marianne saw Samantha standing in her yard and asked her to leave. Marianne testified that Samantha replied, I'm not afraid of you guys. I killed my mom. I killed my grandmother. Samantha's comments about her family's murders were not the only ones she made. Samantha was arrested in 2007 for causing a disturbance at a bar, and Clemente's post-conviction counsel obtained a video taken from a patrol car's dashboard camera. Samantha is seen on video threatening to murder the arresting officer. She then told him repeatedly that her mother and grandmother died from me, and that she is sorry that I'm alive, and that nobody has cared about her for 10 years. In the video, Samantha is seen screaming, cursing, spitting, foaming at the mouth, and banging her head against the patrol car's divider. Samantha is involuntarily committed again in March 2008 after she becomes intoxicated and begins smashing objects, banging her head against the wall, and threatening to hurt others. Candace Nagata, one of Samantha's neighbors and a friend of her mother Cheryl, witnesses everything and writes a sworn statement in which Samantha claims she was responsible for her mother's death. Quote, Observed Samantha Williams beating her head repeatedly against a concrete wall. Stated, I am responsible for my mom dying. It is all my fault. I want to die. I don't have anything to live for. Also observed Samantha throwing glass objects across the room, glasses and plates. When I offered to take her home, she stated, I will kill you. All of the information, from the confessions to Samantha's erratic, violent behavior, could have played a significant role in Clemente and his legal team pursuing Samantha as a suspect in the murders for which he was on death row. According to court records, Clemente requested all Seminole County Sheriff's Office records concerning Samantha Lee Carroll Williams from March 2012 to the present time in January of 2015. These would have included her incident reports from 121, 125, and 129 Vagabond Way, as well as all correspondence, electronic or otherwise, from or to SCSO regarding Samantha. 
In fact, Maria Delebrato, who represents Clemente in Seminole County Circuit Court, signs an affidavit the same day, stating that she is requesting these records from SCSO because undersigned counsel has a good faith reason to believe Samantha admitted to killing her mother and grandmother. Later that month, State Attorney Phil Archer responds to the defense's motion to overturn Clemente's conviction and sentence based on Samantha's information. The state respectfully contends, according to his response, that Samantha's alleged confessions lack credibility and are wholly inconsistent with other credible evidence concerning Samantha's whereabouts at the time of the murders. He goes on to say that they agree Clemente's motion is pled with adequate specificity and out of caution, warrants an evidentiary hearing. A number of issues were raised on appeal, according to court records, but the convictions and death sentence were upheld. Among the issues raised are the following. One, Clemente was not given the opportunity to refuse his trial counsel, a practice known as the Ferretta Colloquy, which allows criminal defendants to refuse counsel and represent themselves. Two, he was not given a new trial because of Donna Burke's incorrect fingerprint examination. Three, Samantha's testimony about Clemente's previous uninvited entry into their home should not have been allowed in court. Four, that the court erred in instructing the jury on the cold, calculated, and premeditated aggravator, aka Clemente, and that Florida's death sentencing scheme is unconstitutional. In October 2016, 12 years after the murders, the Florida Supreme Court overturns the denial of a new trial, vacates Clemente's convictions and death sentence, and orders a new trial. Once again, Clemente must prove his innocence, but this time he has more information at his ready. The following is an excerpt from a July 2014 filing in the Florida Supreme Court case, Clemente Aguirre Hakin versus the state of Florida. Barry Gates, a 35-year veteran of bloodstain analysis and former analyst for the Colorado Bureau of Investigation, testified that in fact, Clemente's bloodstained clothes could not have been worn by the killer. Gates concluded that a bloodstain on the leg of a chair at the crime scene, the same one that the state had theorized was knocked over as the killer went to clean up in the bathroom, was caused by cotton or denim fabric not the nylon shorts that Clemente wore that night. And the blood stains on Clemente's nylon shorts? Gates concluded that those were not caused through motion, but rather by a direct contact with the victim's bodies. This reinforced Clemente's description of his contact with the bodies. Gates further explains that Samantha Williams's blood was fresh and was from the same time frame as the victim's blood stain deposits. The stains caused by Samantha's blood, he explained, did not appear darker than the stains caused by the victim's blood, meaning they were likely deposited at the same time. A second expert, Dr. Daniel Spitz, an experienced medical examiner, further reinforced Clemente's account when he testified that the bloodstain patterns on Cheryl's body were consistent with Clemente's explanation of how he found and briefly moved her body to check for signs of life. Four people testify that Samantha had admitted she killed her mother and grandmother. Samantha's friend, Nicole Casey, AKA Carol Nicole Casey, testifies that on two occasions in 2010, 
Samantha admitted to the murders. Casey says that Samantha was crying and making a stabbing motion toward her chest. Casey says Samantha told her that the demons made her do it. Samantha Williams admitted during her deposition that she may have killed her mother and grandmother, but had blocked out the memory. Josh Dubin with the Innocence Project mentioned that there were swipe marks on Cheryl's rear end where she was trying to crawl away from her attacker, and her attacker tried grabbing her, but the swipe was just a three-fingered blood swipe, so that just their first, middle, and ring finger swiped and tried grabbing her by the pants. Josh Dubin requested that Samantha's hands be photographed because they had never done so before. When Josh Dubin asked to see Samantha's hands while she was on the stand, her pinky was fully bent down to her palm. Because her pinky is permanently bent down, only three fingers stand up, and she only uses three fingers to pick something up. He asked her why her hand was like that, and she explained that she was a cutter who cut her finger and severed a tendon on her pinky when she was 14 years old. He asked if she had her pinky down at the time of the murders, and on the stand, she said yes. When they took measurements from her fingertips to the nails on each of her three fingers, the pinky was missing. But the other three fingers were a perfect match. Did you know that one in five Americans have had at least one package stolen off their porch in the last 12 months? Eufy's security cameras can help ward off potential porch pirates with their groundbreaking facial recognition technology that determines if an object is human, a vehicle, or an animal. It can even recognize and identify different faces. Eufy has no monthly fee. So once you purchase your Eufy cameras, that's it. No more payments. Right now, you can get a discount on Eufy security cameras by clicking the link in our show notes. Eufy, smart home simplified. Trial counsel admits that they had this report in their file, but they never followed up on it, and that they never researched either how to obtain a new court order to view Baker Act records or whether the mental health history of a witness is relevant to assessing credibility including the witness's ability to perceive and remember events. Despite Clemente's persistent claims of innocence and his repeated pleas to have the DNA evidence tested, his appointed trial counsel never sought any DNA testing, investigated alternative suspects, or consulted with a single forensic expert to determine whether their client's account could be corroborated. The court rules that adding the newly discovered evidence to the picture changes the focus entirely. No longer is Clemente the creepy figure who appears over Samantha's bed in the middle of the night. He is now the scapegoat for her crimes. And when the DNA evidence is considered together with Samantha's numerous unequivocal confessions, the result is reasonable doubt as to Clemente's culpability. Soon after, the court orders a deposition of Samantha Williams. On January 22, 2018, the state's witness, Dr. Dan Zinger, finds Samantha incompetent to testify at the retrial, so the state moves to use her prior testimony in the retrial, specifically 
the state moved to have relevant portions of her prior testimonies admitted into evidence. In order for her previous testimonies to be admissible in the retrial, the state argues her first testimonies were clearly testimonial. Her incompetency to testify renders her unavailable. And finally, the defense had an opportunity and did in fact cross-examine Samantha during the first trial. By demonstrating that all three requirements have been met, the state requests that the testimony be admitted into evidence in the retrial. Clemente's team, however, files a supplemental response in opposition. His response argues that under Florida law, she is competent to testify at the retrial. His response also states that merely establishing that a witness has a mental deficiency or poor health is insufficient to show incompetency to stand trial. The question, his response says, is not whether she suffers from mental illness, but whether she is able to share her recollections about critical events, as she did in her deposition. Samantha, according to the defense, was able to think critically, noting that the questions she was asked during her deposition covered a subject that they asked me before, and that she understood they were supposed to ask her new questions. Samantha testifies that her health has improved and that she is in a stable relationship with her fiancé. She stated she was doing amazingly better. Fourteen years after the murders of Cheryl and Carol, jury selection for Clemente's new trial begins in February of 2018. That March, during jury selection for a retrial, Judge Rexeidler declares a mistrial after jurors were overheard discussing searching the internet for information about the case. According to Clemente on Catholics Across the Isle, one juror came in and said, why are we trying him? Let's kill him and have this money for firefighters and schools. Clemente also says that allegedly, Judge Rexeidler was telling the jury that Clemente confessed to the crime and pled guilty, which wasn't true. Not long after, Judge Rexeidler agrees to recuse herself from the case. The defense claims she has a personal interest in obtaining a second conviction for Clemente in order to demonstrate that her decision not to grant Clemente a new trial was correct. Rexeidler, the defense argued, had tried to leverage this case for her own gain by touting her denial of post-conviction relief in her application for a position on the District Court of Appeal, even while the appeal of that decision remained pending before the Florida Supreme Court. On October 29th, the defense produces a sworn affidavit from Nicole Bozegard, Mark Van Sant's wife, after listening to over 200 phone calls from Mark in jail to his wife, mother, and the state attorney. Mark says on one of his calls that he should be a car salesman because he can lie so well that people believe whatever he says. They discover Mark was offered a deal to testify against Clemente as well as phone calls containing information contradicting his original testimony at Clemente's 2006 trial, which Nicole's affidavit confirms. In his original testimony, Mark claimed that Samantha was with him all night the night of the murders, and he had slept like he was dead to the world. In the affidavit, Nicole claims that Mark told her that Samantha woke him up in the middle of the night. He said she told him she had a bad feeling about her mother. According to Nicole, Mark said he offered to drive Samantha home, but she said no, 
and told him he should still come to the house in the morning to pick up a load of laundry. Mark tells Nicole that Samantha had crawled out of his bedroom window the night of the murders. On the season finale of Secrets, Lies, and Alibis, the American justice system comes under scrutiny and a final decision is made. And if this case teaches us anything, it's that there's no such thing as a secret. You'll always get caught if you lie, and it's important to have an alibi. See you next time.